Hello and welcome along to the show. I'm Emish Kennedy. Great to have your company on the Final Furlong Podcast and great to have the company of my TalkSport 2 colleague and trailblazer, as she's always described by my producer, Ross Bellamy, in the script for the intro at the top of the show. Trailblazing jockey, Lizzie Kelly, the first woman to win a grade one over fences and multiple Cheltenham Festival winning rider as well. Lizzie, welcome back to the show. Hello, thanks for having me back again. It's great to have your company. Uh, We are still in the throes of the flat season, and I love the flat. I do. But i got to be honest, Lizzie. Over the last few weeks, I've been going down through the list of jumps, horses in training, the novice hurdlers to come. We just did a podcast with Paul Ferguson about that. We talked about novice chasers last week. There's a show with Katie Young and Dennis O'Regan to come out as well, talking about novice hurdlers. And I'm finding this super interesting. I'm almost finding the research of the jumps horses to look forward to this season more interesting than the actual flat. And I'm almost afraid to admit that. Yeah, well, look, I, I like the flat. Um, but the, the thing is, is, of course, the flat's a bit like classical music. You know, when you listen to it, you know, a lot of talent, a lot of skill has gone in to making that music. But in reality you'd quite like to just listen to ABBA. <laughs> um, and that's what jump racing is for me. It's like, it's ABBA, I suppose. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I've ever listened to much ABBA, but for the sake of the extended metaphor, I'm a big ABBA fan. And when it comes down to it, that's, that's what I really want to, that's what really gets me going. There's nothing like a spot of Brahms and Mahler to start your day, darling. But when it comes to it, you just want a bit of ABBA. Oh, throw on a bit of Oasis, and that's what the flat that's what the jump season is. The jump season is the the beauty of ABBA and the madness of Oasis. And the flat season is that refined um play a bit of Carl Orff's O Fortuna. That's what the flat season is. And and I love that song, by the way. That's on my Apple playlist somewhere along the lines. But uh, that's a brilliant analogy. Oh, damn, I want to use that. I want to steal that. Can we edit that out so that I'm the one who says that? That's brilliant. Um, yeah, and look, I'm still, I want to talk to you about the arc. I'm very excited about how the arc is going to go. I'm very interested in the Coolmore policy for Parry Longchamp this year, which seems to be to send their secondary team to Parry Longchamp and aim everything at the Breeders' Cup and Champions Day which probably has something to do with the fact that Aidan O'Brien is almost certainly going to be champion trainer, but only if they fire the ammunition at Champions Day. Because by the time City of Troy, Luxembourg, Paddington, uh, Save Last Dance is done for the season, Kiprios, uh, they'll, they will win the champions. The, they will win the champion trainer's title for him. And if they all lined up at Parry Longchamp, well, then he wouldn't win the trainer's championship. It would be John and Thady Gosden who'd get it. But those horses, it's a little bit like uh, William Haggis last year. We all just assumed Bayid was going to win the champion stakes, which would have meant he'd be champion trainer. But those horses have to go and win first. But surely, surely, Lizzie, surely Aidan O'Brien will be champion trainer. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a pretty exciting race, isn't it? And the fact that two have been uh, supplemented at quite a late stage is, is quite exciting. I think that Aidan O'Brien, he's obviously had an amazing season. And um, you know, be be quite a well. It's always it's always fascinating, isn't it, when a when an Irish trainer gets so close to winning the championship, 
uh, the Trainers Championship over here. And Willie Mullins has done it a few times, or at least, definitely at least once, where he came Ooh. really close. Oh, has he? I don't think he has. No, no, he came really close. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. Um, and it, I just find it, I find it phenomenal because it's also quite scary that, you know, they obviously don't, they're not based here, but the the value of the races that they're winning are obviously the, the, the highest value because they're the best races and it's putting them in with a really good chance of, of winning the trainer's title. I mean, it's not a good thing. <laughs> It's not a good thing, but it is pretty fascinating. It is. Um, I actually think we should do this flat conversation now and not just double back to it. Um, and I'm going to take us off on a brief tangent here as well, because there is something quite remarkable. Like, there's definitely something remarkable about the fact that Willie Mullins went so close to being jumps trainer champion. And it is quite remarkable that, was it the Scottish Grand National that came to the rescue for Paul Nichols? He's done this a few times. Mm. He's down, he's out for the count. The referee's about to just call a halt to the match and all of a sudden he gets the knockout blow with a massive handicap win and it's game over. Um, and the year he beat, I think it was the, might have been the Grand National he won. And, and he said to whoever, it might have been Rishi Passat, he goes, well, that's blown Nicky out of the water. It's like, tell us how you really feel, Nichols. Tell us how you really feel about winning that trainer's championship. Which, by the way, I love that. I love the fact that those two guys respect each other but don't like each other and that doesn't need to be downplayed that should be actually upplayed um we do it in football the whole time oh these two Klopp and Guardiola don't like one another they respect each other but they don't like one another um it's a similar thing with those two but for Willie particularly in the jumps game for Willie to go that close to being champion trainer is pretty extraordinary for Aiden it's almost become routine at this point like if Aiden O'Brien is not challenging for the trainer's title there seems to be an attitude of oh something's not right there or he hasn't had a good season yes Charlie Appleby and you and I have talked about this a number of times on TalkSport 2 Charlie Appleby was the champion trainer last year um, and had a stellar season he had a good start to this year but he's gone and I can say this as a Liverpool fan Liverpool went from challenging Man City for the title and being in a Champions League final and winning the title, to finishing way down the league last year. We're, we're now Thursday nights on Channel 5, or wherever the hell is playing the Europa League these days. And Charlie Appleby has done the exact same thing. He's gone from first to tenth. Yeah, this is a strange thing that's sort of been rumbling on all season, really. It was a concern going into Epsom, where he had a really low strike rate, and everyone was a little bit cautious of um, tipping up his horses as a result of that. Um, that was the right thing to do from our perspective because his horses didn't particularly flourish at the Epsom meeting. And so he rolled on to the to Ascot and he sort of thought, I'll be all right now, he'll have found some form. And the same thing happened and it basically just carried on like that. He did pick up winners, obviously, but nothing exciting. And horses that, you know, could have could have perhaps kept going. Some of them were actually retired, and yeah, it's just been it's just been a year to forget, really, for Appleby, hasn't it? And you have to feel for people because you're just not when a yard's out of form. Um, it's almost 
you know, it's almost impossible to kind of get the ball rolling. And it might be something really simple like, you know, the hay's not good enough quality and it's got sort of mites in it or something that's making horses ill or might be the bedding. And the problem is, is that you go through all of the options of what it might be. Um, I don't know, it might be the feed or whatever, it might be the air. And in the end, you change everything, but nothing improves. And sometimes you're just not informed. Um, but yeah, it's been really, it's been a really weird season for Charlie Appleby. I feel for him because you know it's horrible when things have been going right for a consistent amount of time, then all of a sudden everything's not happening. Um, very frustrating position to be in. Yeah. I do feel sorry for him to a certain extent. Um, there is a fascinating narrative, though, playing out in all of this, because last year, Charlie Appleby was being hailed by some in the mainstream media, in the establishment media, Lizzie, uh, as being the greatest trainer in the world. Like, undeniable, he's the best trainer in the world. And that's a title that is obviously often bestowed upon John Gosden and Aidan O'Brien as well. Um, the thing is, in 2004, when Aidan O'Brien had that horrible season, and it just happened to coincide with the one year that Jamie Spencer was hired to be jockey, I think Jamie had signed a multi-year contract. He was definitely, he wasn't there for one year anyway. Uh, and they ditched him. It seemed like the stock just wasn't very good. It was just a bad, bad all-round stock for Bally Doyle that year. But maybe Spencer's writing style didn't help. I don't know. Um, it was complex, but it, they rebounded massively when Kieran Fallon came on the scene in 2005. There were people writing articles about how Aiden had one winner at Royal Ascot that year, and it was that one winner had saved his job. That Aiden O'Brien was gone, and David Watchman was going to be the man to replace him. Because David was training Damson at the time. I think Damson was the filly. I think she won the Queen Mary. And there was all this tabloid talk that Aidan O'Brien was out. And like, you're younger than me, but we're both young enough to maybe not... The only, the only trainer that I know from Ballydoyle is Aidan O'Brien. So the idea of him not being there is just madness. Now, I've read the Vincent O'Brien autobiography. It's brilliant. The Robert Sangster autobiography is amazing. Um, Horse Trader. I would highly recommend... We've mentioned it before, but I would highly recommend that book to anybody who's interested in in both jumps and flat racing. Just a fascinating insight into how Coolmore really came in and disrupted the bloodstock market and just turned everything on its head and became the world leaders at this. Um, so the standard is incredibly high, but Aiden was in there in, what, 96, 97 is when he got the job? So he's not even in there 10 years, and people are writing, he's out, he's going to be gone. This is unacceptable to John Magner, Aiden O'Brien to be sacked. And Claude Duval was running that story in The Sun a few years ago, 2015, 2016, about how David O'Mara was to be the new master of Bally Doyle. Aiden O'Brien out, David O'Mara in. I think it might have been Paul Hannigan was on the show a few weeks ago. We happened to talk about this randomly. And he was like, oh yeah, I was down there at David O'Mara's yard. David was like, I don't know what the hell is going on here. Nobody from Coolmore has approached me. No one said a bloody word to me about this. This is madness. So it was all just nonsense. Tabloid talk. Nobody is saying anything like that about Charlie Appleby, though. 
Not by the way that I'm calling for that. That shouldn't be the case. Anybody can have a bad time of things. We're all human. We all make mistakes and we're not perfect. And consistency is a hard thing to maintain. But it is interesting to me that someone like Aidan O'Brien can be hauled over the hot coals, be labeled as someone who's about to be fired because of uh, of a mediocre season. Yet Charlie Appleby is having a very mediocre season, way below Godolphin standards, and there's not a single word about pressure being put on him. Yeah, I suppose that's that sort of a bit of a, um, well, it's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Or a bit of a contradiction. Um, but you know, I, I've never really liked, I, I, I think when the media go down that route, I've never really liked it. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's very a nice way of doing business. Um, yeah, the fact that Char- Charlie Appleby, to be fair, it sort of has slightly kind of flown under the radar, hasn't it? It's not exactly been making headlines, um, but that's probably a good thing, really. But with... it would be making headlines if it was Aidan O'Brien. That's the hypocrisy yeah, of yeah. the establishment media. And here's another thing, Lizzie. I was going down through the list of Charlie Appleby's horses and training. Do you remember the article that Maddie Playle wrote last year? which Maddie had an opinion, she expressed it in an article, which is what she's supposed to do, and then she gets insulted for daring to have such an opinion. She was writing in the Racing Post Weekender about how Aidan O'Brien's juveniles basically low-key weren't and that Charlie Appleby's two-year-old team was much more impressive and that he would have classic winners from his team and Aidan O'Brien would struggle with his three-year-olds when they became three-year-olds. Low-key, she was right. Meditate didn't train on, Little Big Bear didn't train on, Victoria Road has had a setback, so we haven't really got to see the best of him so far this season. The horses who've shone for Aiden, Warm Heart is the best three-year-old filly in Europe, that's not a horse we were talking about last year, Save the Last Dance isn't a horse we were talking about as a two-year-old, Paddington we didn't talk about really, Lee and I were on air on TalkSport 2 the day he made his debut, and he looked like he didn't even identify as a racehorse, never mind be uh, a champion three-year-old. Um, and August Rodin, yeah, obviously he showed a lot of promise last year. And uh, it was pretty obvious that he was going to be Bally Doyle's leading derby horse. But most of Aiden's star three-year-olds have emerged from left field. Charlie's horses, though, did look very exciting. She was right about that. They did look to be a very exciting bunch. And I'm not having a go at Maddie. I'm just using this as an example. And yet none of them have gone on. And here's the difference between Charlie Appleby and Aidan O'Brien. If John Magner walked into Bally Doyle and Aidan was having the season Charlie's having, and Aidan O'Brien's got a big smile on his face and he's carrying his shears, and John goes, what are you smiling about, Aidan? I fixed it, John. I fixed it. I know what's wrong with these horses and I've taken it upon myself to go and fix the problem. All right, what is that? I've gelded all of them. What? It's a breeding business. You can't geld those horses, even the ones that inevitably are going to end up with J.P. McManus to be trained as hurdlers. They don't get gelded until they're actually sold. The ones that are going to be sold to Hong Kong, where you have to be gelded, won't be gelded until they're sold. It's not the Coolmore way. Aiden doesn't train geldings, so he's got to make it work as full horses. How many three-year-old colts remain in Charlie Appleby's yard this year, right now, as we're recording on the 27th of September, how many Colts does Charlie Appleby currently have in training? Absolutely no idea. Six. Six, Six. Lizzie. Oh, sorry, Lizzie, I've actually misread that. Apologies. I humbly apologize for engaging in fake news 
and Russian disinformation on the final Furlong podcast. How dare I? It couldn't possibly be just six Colts left to Charlie Appleby's yard who are three years of age in the classic generation. That's ridiculous. It couldn't possibly be that number. It's actually five. There are five three-year-old Colts left in Charlie Appleby's yard. Everything else is gelded. Ancient rules, first sight, flying honors, measured time, and victory dance are the only five full three-year-old Colts still at Charlie Appleby's yard. 16 geldings. Those horses are Bold Act, Castleway, Desert Order, High Bank, Imperial Emperor, Lemurand, Local Dynasty, Majestic Pride, Military Order, Mischief Magic, Mysterious Knight, Naval Power, Noble Style, Silver Knot, Striking Star, and Tagbawa. All classic generation horses, all three-year-olds, all gelded. Of his two-year-olds, he's got 18 Colts, seven geldings so far this season in training. Seven geldings already. If Aidan O'Brien did that, he would be sacked. Well, yeah, I mean, crikey, that's, um, that's fascinating, Emmett. Let's move on to the arc, where Charlie Appleby does not have a runner. No surprise, considering most of his horses are gelded and geldings are ineligible from competing in the arc. But Aidan O'Brien does. He's got continuous. The St. Ledger winner supplemented this week to run in the race. Notoriously, St. Ledger winners have a terrible record in this race. They've tried it with Scorpion um, and a number of others, and it hasn't worked. But I don't remember the last time they had a a sole representative who was just the St. Ledger winner. It might have been Scorpion, although I think he had another horse with him um, off the top of my head. Uh, The favorite is Ace Impact, who has looked very, very good, to be fair, and won his trial impressively, beating uh, a nice horse from Joseph O'Brien's. Hook'em is rock solid, and Owen Burroughs is using the same approach that he used for the King George, going in relatively fresh. Um, Westover's got to have a huge chance as well. Uh, Baybridge is a really interesting runner. And Fantastic Moon, like Continuous, has been supplemented today after being Feed the Flame the last day. Um, ironically enough, he'd been beaten by Nation's Pride. Charlie, we'll give, we'll give Charlie a little bit of love. Um, Charlie won a Group 1 in, in Germany back in July with that horse, but he obviously... Uh, and he is a full horse, by the way. So he could have run, but there's no sign of him since July, and I don't know why. Um, what's your overall take on the arc? Oh, I love Huckham. Um... Huckham, for me, is just such, he's just such a lovely horse. Um, he beat an incredibly good field in uh, the King George race that was touted as like one of the best races of a generation. Um, and I think that he's just, he's just super. I've loved the profile for such a long time. Um, it took him so long to clinch his group one and I love the fact that he's he's sort of reaching new heights um, and I think yeah I think if if there was one horse in there that I could if I would pick out I think it would be him yeah I'm with you I think he should be shorter than he is um, Ace Impact is obviously potentially very very good um, don't know if 12 furlongs is really what he wants but he's trained by Jean-Claude Rougier, um, who's obviously a genius. And uh, the French horses have been doing exceptionally well. Like last year, they were not. Uh, they were getting completely... Mo- I think they just won four group ones, four domestic group ones last year. This year, it's completely turned around. They've won basically all of them, with the exception of, of a couple. Um, in Spiral being, being an example of one who went over and won. 
Um, but they have repelled the Irish and British Raiders really well this season, and he's been very, very good. Um, don't have any interest in backing him at that price, though. Hookham, on the other hand, rock solid. Really good when beating Desert Crown. What a terrible blow that was that that horse is not going to race again. And hopefully he's going to be all right. Um, and the form of his King George at Westover, I think that was a really, really solid performance. So he'll stay. He's got class. And you're getting, what, nine to two about him? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the one-two from the King George again, if it's Hookham fighting it out with Westover. It's, it's going to be a repeat of that. Um, I respect the French horses, but I kind of see it playing out that way. And that's that's the bet I'm going to do on the day. I'll do the reverse forecast, but I'm going to back Hookham on his own. Um, I like Continuous a lot, but th- that is right. Scorpion did run on his own in, in the race and uh, back in 2005. And it didn't work. Um, and I like Continuous a lot. I've, I've talked about him a number of times on the show. Um, really liked his debut. He was supposed to go for the Beresford Stakes. Ended up missing that. Went to France for a conditions race. Um, and he had a difficult season. I mean, you and I covered him in depth at Royal Ascot against King of Steel. Um, but his last two starts have been more like it. That's the horse I was expecting him to be. I just don't see him as an arc winner, Lizzie. I, I don't see him as a cup horse next year either, by the way. I think he will be... Uh, a middle distance older horse uh, and do quite well. I just think this will come a little bit too soon for him. Yeah, potentially. Um, and that's, a, as you know, it's difficult when, when you do think the races are happening, you know, they're too close. Um, and sort of, I forget who it was, but, there was a horse that ran in the summer and I was absolutely convinced that Aiden wouldn't have brought him if he didn't think that he was over-raced. Oh, it was Paddington. Um, oh, the Judmont, yeah. I was absolutely convinced that there's no way Aiden would bring him if he wasn't ready for another go at it. And he wasn't. Um, so, yeah, sometimes even the best of us get it wrong. Yeah, it's just... You got to go back to nineteen dickety do to quote Grandpa Simpson for the last Saint Ledger winner in the same season to win the Ark. Um, as much as I would like to see it happen, I can't. I don't see it. Um, so hook him for both of us then. Um, you are part of something which I think is very noble. Of course, Lizzie, you're always part of things that are noble. You are, after all, racing royalty and nobility. Um, but the Thoroughbred Census twenty twenty three is a, a really interesting initiative. Um, British Horse Racing's uh, Horse Welfare Board partnering with research experts at the Hartbury University to launch the first ever thoroughbred census in Great Britain. Can you explain, though, to our listeners and to me what exactly is involved in this? Um, Okay, so this is something that that I I probably do feel pretty passionate about, actually. It's um, improving traceability of, of racehorses from birth to course death um everybody dies eventually and it's morbid lizzie factual but morbid (laughs) welcome along to another fun episode of the final furlan podcast just reminding you everybody dies (laughs) Um, what's that line from emma nagel you live you die in hurricane fly perfect let's go with that yeah well there we are it's a great line um i think the improving the traceability of racehorses is really important because in order for us to know what racehorses do once they're retired, 
Um, we need, but we we need people to get involved with what is the first thoroughbred census. So we know that there are racehorses who um, who are out there doing their thing, and uh, they're able to they're able to we know all about them. Your so, dog is very passionate about this. Yeah, quite. We know everything that they're doing, like your melons, and obviously I've got tea for two at home. But it's it's just expanding that. Um, you can, if you own a an uh, racehorse, then you can go onto the website, the retraining of racehorses website, and you can fill in um, you can fill in the the form and um, about where your horse is, and they they want to you know I think they want to really increase the numbers that they have um, currently. And they're they're running a big campaign around it. Um, there are actually there's a there's a I love my horse social media campaign where if you share a photo or a video of your your horse with the hashtag um, Thoroughbred Census twenty three, then you'll be in with a chance of winning um, winning some prizes. You have to obviously say why you love your horse, um, and. And yeah, I just think like, I'm really lucky to be in a position where I can look after T for two for the rest of his days. And actually, um, he gave me a scare a couple of weeks ago and I thought I was going to lose him. No. Um, and it was absolutely horrifying. But I, I don't I don't get the opportunity to take him to the retraining of racehorses classes and stuff, of which there are loads. And those horse, racehorses are so valuable in that in that sphere to have them as as a second career because T for two's like a complete head case. So if I <laughs> if I take him to things and he loses the plot. Um but there's so many there are so many things that racehorses can do in a second career. You know, whether it's um sort of riding club stuff and um or point pointing of course, which is obviously they are retired from racing, but they're kind of doing the amateur version. Um, and there's, they're amazing animals because they're e- ever so malleable because they've been in such a system that for their careers, they are incredibly, um, they're on the whole, of course, you're always going to get the odd, odd ball like T for two, um, but on the whole, you know, they're incredibly adaptable. They do a whole range of different jobs. Um, you know, polo ponies, hunting, uh, riding classes, riding, sorry, riding club classes, etc. Um, and I think that what, what everyone's trying to do with improving the traceability of them with the thoroughbred census is absolutely amazing. Um, they've, yeah, so just to reiterate, Emmett, because obviously the important thing is that people, you know, get involved. It's the retraining of racehorses website. To be honest, if you Google thoroughbred census, it comes up. And you need to put in the information about your horse, um, and what that horse is doing and where he's living, and you have to have the passport and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's we talked about welfare a lot earlier this year around Aintree and around Epsom. And I think 
as an industry, if we can prove to the outside world that these, you know, you'd have to have data, don't you, to prove it. We can all say, oh, we love racehorses. We love them more than you love them. So therefore, racing should continue. We can carry on with that line till we're blue in the face. But unless we actually have the data and we can prove that racehorses, once they have finished racing, actually have valued careers afterwards, I think that's really important because what you often hear with people who are against racing is that, oh, if they're no good, they just shoot them, which isn't true. And I think that that is one of the biggest things. Oh, once they're no good, they just get rid of them. Once they've had enough, they just you know throw them away. And that's just simply not the case. But obviously, we need people to get involved. Um, so, yes, if you are a listener who owns an ex-racehorse, do fill in the, the census um, and do get involved with the, you know, the possibility of winning a prize with the I Love My Horse campaign on social media as well. So, um, yes, it, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to be involved as well, Emma. It's um, something I take pretty seriously, actually. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, listen, you should be, and you should be very proud to be part of it as well. It's a terrific initiative. ROR.org.uk, retraining of racehorses. You can do it there, as far as I know. Um, In fact, you can. Um, And there's plenty of others as well. There's the um, BRS.org.uk, the British Racing School. They give it a a big mention too. So it's also there. Um, And look, this is, it's a no-brainer. Like, this is vital to do. there is something about it, though, that leaves a little bit of an eyebrow raised. Um, the compliance rate of owners updating their equine identification document is at an average of 20%. I can't spin that as that's good, because that means there's nearly 80% that are not. Now, uh, I suspect that this is just mostly people like yourself Um who have the land and have an X-ray source uh, that you're looking after. Lucy Russell-Hughes, a regular on the Final Front podcast, she's looking after Double uh, W's, an X-ray source. Um, and there are a number of people around the UK and the Republic of Ireland that do the exact same thing. So they're not necessarily going to be of a mindset to go online and go, oh, I better register that I'm looking after this former race horse, because this was never done before. There was no need to do anything like this. And most owners will look after a horse. But not everybody is J.P. McManus and has access to Marnstown Stud, where Isterbrack can be enjoying himself in his luxurious retirement, which he very much deserves. But every racehorse deserves that. Um, and so that's where you have sanctuaries and amazing places like Irish National Stud, which, by the way, if you haven't been to Irish National Stud, take a visit there. It'll do your heart the world of good and your mind the world of good. It is amazing to see those all your, all your old favourites Um, and how much they're enjoying themselves. But there are amazing places like that around Ireland and the UK, and people who do it as well. It's just a matter of encouraging people to sign up to it, because as a fan, we want to know that these horses who have given us so much joy, and not just the champions, any horse that you've backed at Cheltenham, you might have been frustrated in the moment when that horse didn't win. That's not the horse's fault, and you're responsible for your own bets, quite frankly. Um, But you get incredible enjoyment and a lot of love from this sport. And so we want to know that those horses are then being well looked after afterwards. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it is just one of those things where I can appreciate that, you know, once you start owning a dog, you would feel a little bit like, oh, do I have to? If all of a sudden you had to, you know, fill out a form to say that you owned a Dalmatian. But the, the there is a wider, there's a wider sort of idea around um, the thoroughbred census. It really is to try to improve know the industry it's it's to prove the industry standards to the outside world which I think is really important the other funny angle I suppose I would say is that maybe 20 years ago the idea of taking on a retired racehorse as uh, essentially you know hobby horse as a pet um, was not something that was recommended um, X racehorses had a really bad reputation of being very fiery and difficult to manage and not a novice ride. And I think that that reputation is, has really sort of fallen away. And I think that people are beginning to, or very much beginning to see that, you know, actually a retired racehorse is a very placid animal. And there are, I think, I think it would be nice to sort of be able to prove that, you know, what, what was the case um, you know, a long time ago, to be fair, actually, there may well be, you know, there's, go- there's going to be thousands of racehorses out there who are in, in second careers. And I think proving that would, um, would certainly be nice. Why do you think that was a message that was being sent out? Oh, racehorses, they're, they're not the kind of, that's not what you want. Um, as, yeah, as I pet. mean, I'm talking about, you know, hanging about at the, pony club rallies or going hunting and you'd say oh I've you know I'm taking a, a racehorse hunting and everyone Ooh. you know I, I think I think it was just a sort of <laughs> a, a bit of a countryside culture thing that you know racehorses were all a bit loopy and I mean some of them are but the best ones tend to be Hey, crikey, you don't want to see me try attempting to take T for two on days out. It's like it's like taking a hooligan with me. Um but yeah, look, they've kind of I that that of gone gone on now. Yeah, I pretty much have to put like a straight jacket on him to put him in the lorry. Lizzie um, Kelly's new initiative, adopt a hooligan. <laughs> you you two can give a good home to a hooligan. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I think I think that the more information we can get about racehorses and and where they end up and you know you never know what could happen with that kind of information. You know, you never know what could happen. Could could we be seeing like pension schemes for racehorses? Could we be seeing bursaries for racehorses? Could we be seeing um you know, people who are struggling financially to look after a, a retired racehorse be helped out by a charity. But of course, if you don't have the information, you can't ever work on any projects like that. And I think that this is a really important first step. And I would urge people to get involved because I think it is really important. And it's for the good of the industry as a whole. It's for the good of the animals as well. Um you know, if it were to if it were to turn out, for example, that um, a horse has ended up um, being neglected, actually having a clear idea of where it all went wrong, I think is very important. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think it's I'm 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 really hopeful that it's going to be a successful campaign. And um, yeah, as I said, the, the website, the the ROR website, the Retraining of Resources website, that's where you can find out sort of more information really and also access that census. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the census here now. It's a pretty easy one to to fill out. Um, it's it's not the easiest of ones to um, to to type out in terms of this is the actual web address to go to. So it's uwe.eu.qualtrics.com. Or just Google thoroughbred census, and it'll be much easier. But you can go to that if you want. Uh, and it's really simple to, to, um, to fill out uh, and to update. And it's invaluable just to prove that these horses are loved and they're well looked after and well, well maintained. And if you are looking after an X-ray source, um, that's a great thing you're doing. And you should be very proud of that. And you should be putting it uh, into the census so that people know that that horse is okay. UWE.EU, Qualtrics.com, or just Google... Uh, thoroughbred census and you will be um, well sorted and look it's a great thing to do and a great thing to be part of lizzie has just reminded me of the proof between there's a fine line between the definition of madness and greatness uh and that is t for two that's hurricane fly all those amazing horses had incredible quirks just ask william mullins about why he was limping the year uh hurricane fly won his first champion hurdle because Hurricane Fly took a bite out of his arse, that's why. Um, vicious so-and-so, but an absolute legend of a horse. Uh, Lizzie, thank you so much for being part of the show. Again, really enjoyed this. Um, do take part in the census, and um, hopefully Hookham will be winning the arc and getting his loads of gravy. And uh, looking forward to teaming up with you again soon on the podcast and on TalkSport 2 again soon as well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been great fun. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show as much as I've enjoyed recording it with Lizzie. We are back with more content very, very soon that... A podcast with Katie Young and Dennis O'Regan is coming out later this week uh, where we're talking again about novice hurdlers to follow for the new season. Katie and Dennis back on the show very, very soon. Paul Ferguson is back with me as we're looking at the open company horses to look forward to over hurdles and chases this season. And of course, we'll be reviewing Arc Weekend, building up to the Breeders' Cup, building up to Champions Day. So much content coming your way on the Final Forum podcast. If you like what we're doing, all I ask of you is that you like and share on social media. Like and share in your WhatsApp groups, um, on Slack, via email. It's a massive help to the algorithm and a huge help to the show. Thank you for being part of the Final Furlong Podcast Army. Hope you're well, and we will be back with you with more content on the show very, very soon. From Lizzie and myself, look after yourself and each other. God bless. <laughs>